0: We're going to try today to uh, begin a, uh, some sort of systematic exposition of the (laughs) Shita Sabal Shem Tov. And it's, uh, it's not at all Easy to pick a particular point of departure, but for want of something better, um, I will uh, begin with the attention which the Baal Shem Tov gave to the pshute Um, to the, uh, the 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 common Jew something which evoked some consternation in uh, many circles, a, uh, and, and created something of a, uh, a, a legacy of um, opposition, which in its worst form accused Hasidus, the Hasidic movement, of encouraging ignorance, illiteracy, and uh, and not giving proper due to Torah scholarship, and, the, and while this is a a um, uh, something which is a result of a good deal of confusion, some of it began with the uh, the very clear. Uh, um, attention and uh, the um, the interest and concern which the Balshemtov himself brought to bear upon the simple folk. You will remember that we spoke last week in trying to develop the historical context for Hasidus that the emotional um, state of the uh, Jewish people throughout. Europe at the time was one which had been very profoundly affected by poverty by the uh, debacle with Shabzai Tzvi, the Frankist and Chiven and such other very charismatic and and very destructive leaders that uh, the promise of redemption had been been shattered that uh, they suffered all kinds of economic persecution and dislocation and with the supremacy of Torah scholarship from time immemorial of the Jewish people the simple folk felt estranged and disenfranchised even amongst their, within the context of their own spiritual, um, their their own spiritual roots Uh, despised by the non-Jewish world and uh, displaced within the Jewish world, the Baal Shem Tov embraced uh, Jews of uh, of every stripe, regardless of how scholarly or liter- literate they may be, and reestablished. And I underscore the word reestablished because there is nothing within this attitude which is um, which uh, which was new to Jewish tradition but reestablished this central uh, feature this this central concept this uh, ideological base which which is best articulated by the tale itself when the uh, the Torah speaks to Klal Yisrael and says, "Bonim atem Hashem says to to his nation, "You are children of the Lord your God. You are children." Uh, this is uh, captured in a variety of ways in uh, subsequent literature. Um, a phrase which uh, which is is certainly used in Hasidic. Commentary in Hasidic literature more than than is found elsewhere, which refers to the soul of of every Jew as a chelik elikam as a a portion, a part of the Almighty exalted. That uh, that the soul of man is derived from. Hakurish Baruch that, it's it's, that there's a divine spark in every person that there's an essence which transcends all physicality which transcends all corpore, corporeal um, limitations that there is something which is timeless, immortal pure and sublime which is so because it is of the Almighty Himself and so the Baal Shem Tov uh, philosophically, ideologically, and in practice demonstrated and um, and taught the fact that um, that every single Jew should understand his royal lineage, that everyone was a child of the palace, that there was aristocracy, nobility. And that there was this, this regal, um, uh, kingly presence that was part of every son and daughter of our people. This was manifest in his love for them. This was manifest in his concerns about the trivia and the, the, uh, even the, the, um, the, the most earthy concerns that were brought to his attention. And the uh, the teaching that uh, the soul of man was a chelik elikam imal became part of virtually every um, the perspective from which all other Hasidic thought was developed. This expression is found in some of the earliest um, some of the earliest works of the Rishonim, the Ravid, in, uh, in the Sefer Amun HaRabba, makes specific reference Bechiyus HaNeshama he speaks about the the, the the energy the life force of the soul which is Chelek Elikami Mao. that's how he refers to it as a, a portion of the Divine Himself um, the Balshem Tov is quoted as having said Halavai would only that I could love the greatest tzaddik, the most righteous of all Jews, in the same way that the Almighty loves the most wicked of all Jews. Ki Yidah mi the Almighty will not allow His children to be forever condemned, He will not allow them to forever stray, but He will find a way to bring them back, so that they can be once again part of His palace. Yisrael afal Yisraelu, a Jew, even if the Jew is guilty of of transgression, nonetheless he remains. Um, a part of the Jewish people. Uh, one of the Hasidic commentaries, again, drawing attention to this, um, this central concept. Comments on something that we find in this week's sederim, Parshas Kedoshim. V'ahavta kamecha, and you shall love your friend as yourself. Uh, this is... Um, something which receives a good deal of attention in the in the Kisvei but something which was was yet further um, emphasized in Hasidic thought, the love of a um, fellow Jew which we will talk about a little bit more perhaps later on tonight, if not later on tonight then perhaps next time um that uh, the love of God and you shall love the Lord your God your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your might something which we understand to be one of the the pillars of, uh, of all of the mitzvahs of the Torah that if one wishes to know whether or not he loves God then the uh, one of the indices one of the criteria in which that would be manifest would be how much he loves another Jew if you love the father then you must love his child and if we are capable of being hateful of bearing a grudge if we are capable of um, looking down at another Jew, then it's got to be a symptom of the fact that we don't love HaKadosh Baruch Because if we loved God, we could not hate His children. Rabbi <laughs> <Kabi> Akiva says, <laughs> "Loving one's friend as himself is a is a one of the, the basic uh, rules of the Torah." Um, in Hasidic thought, this uh, is interpreted as: if you want to know where your you fit into Tera, if you want to know how how sincere your relationship is to Tera, then test it against your love of your fellow Jew. <inaudible> this is the rule that you would use to measure how earnest and how sincere and how connected you are to Teru. Perhaps not entirely removed from this context was what was seen as somewhat of a um, sorry about that uh, somewhat uh, a, as a um, revolution until this point in time the council of th- uh, those teachers, mentors, sages uh, in response to those who were seeking some form of expressing their penitence was that that penitence would be expressed in uh, different forms of self-deprivation self-flagellation fasting uh, denying oneself the um, the pleasures of the world, the Balsham Tov partly in response to what he understood to be the inability of uh, people in in this last part of history to uh, to deal effectively with uh, with that form of penitence. And partly because he un- it was the uh, the basic contention that even the body of a Jew was something that that carried with it that represented a um, a level of sanctity. The um, that it should not be it should not be punished. And it should not be uh, subjected to uh, to different forms of whatever um, kinds of deprivation and, and uh, flagellation that people might be inclined to bring upon it. And he uh, introduced this into a pasuk. There's a verse in the Torah which really teaches us something about uh, how we should be um, how we should respond to when we see a, uh, for example, a, a beast of burden, a donkey, who is carrying a, um, a very heavy load. This is one of the sources that we find in the Torah for Tsar uh, Balei that it is prohibited to cause Animals' pain, or to allow an animal to remain in pain. So the, the Pusuk reads If you will see the donkey of your enemy crouching beneath its burden, and you will be tempted not to be helpful. So the Torah exhorts the person, Azaiv you should should be supportive. You should be there. You should help out. And we we learn from here a mitzvah, of teina, that if you see an animal which is which is uh, carrying a, a very heavy burden, that you should unload the burden. That um, if someone is is uh, needs some assistance and in, in Putting uh, the uh, whatever, whatever cargo, whatever um, whatever materials they need to put on the back of uh, of this beast of burden should be helpful. So much so that the uh, the Torah tells us that if there are two things, two responsibilities or two possible opportunities to do a mitzvah, both at once. Uh, if you see an animal which is, um, which requires um, a load taken off. And it belongs to, this animal belongs to a good friend. There's another animal, which is, which needs to be, the, the burden needs to be replaced, and that belongs to your enemy. So the question is, you have your two mitzvahs. One of removing the burden, one of helping replace the burden. Um, which what should one do first? So the Taylor tells us, in our sages comment that the um, that we should um, set aside our bias, our our our, uh, uh, our feelings of um, enmity, and we should help the um, the person whom we don't like first. It's a, it's a lesson. In um, self-discipline, that we need to put ourselves. We operationally, functionally, we need to do what's right. In any event, that's that's. That uh, one unloaded, one Even though the one, the one that has sar the one in in which you could relieve the difficulty of the animal belongs to the to the friend. But it's more important what you do in terms of your own character that you overcome your own character, that you attempt to to build discipline into your own character and that you respond to the the need of your um, this this person whom you see as, a, as an enemy first. Be all that as it may the Baal uh, Shem found in this Pasuk a way in which to express his um, attitude towards the uh, the goof, the body of the Jew. And he said as follows Kisira Hamer When you will see and he used this word Khamur as uh, with a, a root which uh, shares the same letters but has a, a different meaning and over here the word Chomer refers to, to um, the, uh, the body refers to something which is uh, very corporeal the flesh so to speak so if you will see Yorchaimach if you will see you will look at the body and you will see in your body senacha. You will see in your body an enemy. An enemy to your soul. You will see something that clashes with your yearnings and your uh, aspirations to spiritual greatness. And you will be tempted. <laughs> and, uh, and you will... And it's tachas masoit. It is crouching underneath its burden, the burden of Terah, the burden of mitzvahs, the discipline which Judaism wishes to bring to bear upon this body to uplift it, to, to transform it. The body is not responding. The body is reved. It's 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 indolent. It's 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 just not it's just not wakening to the the uh, the call the summons of the neshama. so kisira chamer. if you will see the body you will look at your your flesh and it's all of its all of its drives its urges its appetites and its needs and you will see in your body senach you'll you'll see that it's an enemy it's an enemy to the best the best things that you hope for and you will see that it's You will see that your body crouches beneath this burden. <coughs> the burden that you're attempting to place upon it. The burden, the yoke of Tedan Mitz. The chad the You may be tempted to abandon your body and its needs. You will be atten- you'll be you'll be drawn to to not to concern yourself with it, to punish it, to deprive it. So he says, "Ozev, tazev, The Torah tells us: do not abandon, do not reject, and do not punish or deprive the body. Even the body of a Jew is holy. This was. This is not to suggest that the Baal Shem Tov was allowing for. Some of the things that some of the early, earlier, um, and um, and much misled Kabbalists had done, in which they had allowed for uh, all kinds of of departures from the discipline of Torah, in the uh, in the spirit that that uh, the the body is holy. That's not what the Bar was saying. The Bar was not espousing that there was any leave to um, to indulge uh, or to um, uh, to break through the the um, the Torah's uh, disciplines regarding every aspect of whether it's it's the way in which Jews eat or the way in which Jews. Uh, Sleep or the way in which Jews conduct any of the uh, their their physical activities. What he was saying is that um, that there's the wherewithal to um, to claim the uh, the goof of the Jew for kedusha, and that it was no longer in his in his view of things, it was no longer um, workable. To, um, to try to conquer the, the, uh, the physical by uh, punishment or deprivation. So both um, in theory and in practice, the B'al Shem Tov saw in every single Jew, in the greatest Torah scholar and in the simplest of Jews, He saw in each a prince, a princess. He saw um, individuals who um, carried within them this this divine component, this divine essence. And he reached out to each one um, in, uh, in their own idiom. He reached out um, to all of them with a great deal of love and um, uplifted their uh, broken spirits and broken hearts and restored to them the dignity which allowed them, despite the uh, the um, degradation which the world heaped upon them, to be oblivious to that degradation because they knew in their heart of hearts that they were of royal lineage. to the thought that we are children of the Almighty, there's, there is there clearly the protocol of the palace that if we are um, if we are princes, if we are uh, princesses, if if we uh, if we come from uh, the Almighty Himself, then along with that distinction comes responsibility and so every mitzvah is an expression of this royalty every mitzvah is a privilege Uh, the the right and the capacity to study Hashem's Torah and his wisdom is an honor and uh, and an opportunity which which, uh, opens to the Jew the treasure vaults of the The kingdom, the royal treasures, and as such, the attitude with which a Jew approaches Tehran Mitzvah must be one of great joy. And consequently, joy, simcha, became one of the cornerstones of Hasidic teaching, Hasidic practice. Um, someone who is bereft of joy at any moment of the day or night was seen as someone who is less than earnest less than authentic in their Judaism if we are children of God and if as children of the Almighty the Almighty has allowed us into his treasure chambers he has shared with us these very special blessings whether they are the Shabbos, or whether they're Kashrus, or whether it's Teira, whatever mitzvahs, that these are ways in which we can communicate with Him, in which He can reach out and communicate with us, that these are part of the riches of, um, of being a Chela Kulikam Mao, then there's absolutely no time at all, certainly not during the pursuit of Tehra and Mitzvahs, that a person could indulge despair, depression, sadness all of these things were seen as uh, symptoms that the person was not well Um, some generations after the the advent of Phasidus one of the Hasidic masters said that the Ba'al Shem's exhortation that we need to be constantly suffused with this um, uh, this this joyful uh, disposition it was true he says that uh, he said It was true that there are some very exalted forms, some very sophisticated forms of joy. He said, but there is one basic simcha, one basic joy, which we should feel and we should sense the moment that we wake up in the morning and recognize that we are children of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yankim, that we are Jews. The fact that we are part of this, this elect nation upon whom the Almighty has uh, conferred this, this privilege and distinction to make us, to embrace us as His children, that alone. He said, if, uh, if you get up in the morning and you recite the Baruch HaShuley I thank you, Hashem, that you didn't make me <coughs> Uh, one of the other nations of the world, he said that bracha in and of itself, and he wasn't talking about about it in in the in in a disrespectful um, um, form. He was talking about the fact that when one makes this bracha and recognizes that uh, that one is a ben yisrael, that we are uh, that we are amongst the children of Israel that that in and of itself should um, energize us with joy from the moment that we awake until the time that we close our eyes and go to sleep. The fact is that that joy is but one of a number of um, of emotive Emphases which uh, Hasidus established as fundamental to being able to express oneself fully as a Jew. The the concept of regesh, the concept of of feeling, the concept of emotion. We'll talk some a little bit about that. Uh, makes up certainly one of the cornerstone concepts in Chasidus. If Torah and mitzvahs are the vehicle through which, or are the, the, is the conduit through which we communicate with the Almighty, through which we travel closer to the Almighty, which brings us closer to the Almighty, then the propellant, the fuel and the energy which drives this machine or which drives this communication is regish, it's feeling. And... Um, Early, the early Hasidic masters saw in the world which preceded Hasidus a world which had become uh, somewhat mechanistic in its Judaic expression, um, and had lost the 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 neshama, the life, the soul of Judaism was gone. Um, one of uh, the problems that we have today for example is that we treat religion like a computer we we're under the impression that you put in some whatever you you put in some some letters you spell some words you give it some some instructions and then you push enter or some other whatever f6 and the screen explodes with information, gives you what you want, and all of a sudden the printer starts working and you have whatever you want. And that's a little bit of our attitude, or maybe a lot of our attitude towards religion. We think that God is a gigantic computer, and that Torah and Mitzvahs are the ways in which we program and we get into the computer. And we want things. We want prosperity, we want good health, we want safety, um, whatever. Whatever it is that makes up the full spectrum of human need. We want these things. Well, if we use religion, and God is a computer, then the way to get these things is by giving the computer the right orders. And obviously, if we put in the wrong orders, then uh, we're going to get all kinds of uh, unexpected results, things that we don't want. But we have a mechanistic approach. And that doesn't demand. The computer is, is without a soul and uh, the letters that we type in are lifeless but there is a cause and effect relationship if you do this then the other thing happens and that's much of what goes on if you look at some of the ways in which we do mitzvahs if you look at some of the ways in which we daven uh, we're just putting letters into the computer and because we we say to ourselves oh I finished davening today Um, so I put all the letters in the computer and I expect everything to go well today my business is going to be good um, everything that I touch will t- will turn to gold, and um, and, and uh, nobody's going to dent my car. And we've we've really lost sight of the fact that a a mitzvah or the study of Torah is indeed a way of traveling, but that we need it needs it requires fuel, and uh, the Baal Shem Tov. Uh, would oft quote the um, statement of the Zehir Hakadosh, yeah. where the Zehir, this earliest uh, Kabbalistic work, says that Teru uh, Mitzvus, without dechilu urechimu, without the awe, the reverence, the uh, the fear of God and the love of God, Le leilad, do not ascend. It doesn't soar heavenward. The story is told that the Baal Shem and some of his disciples were traveling. They came to a village. And it was time to Davin. And uh, he instructed one of the Talmidim to uh, seek out where there would be a Beis in this HaMedresh uh, in this village. So he came back and he directed the Baal Shem Tov and the disciples to a place which was that there was a small basah Hamedrash there, a little synagogue, and um, the Baal Shemta walked over and opened up the door, and immediately closed it, and turned back. And uh, one of the chassidim said to him, uh, Rebbe, what's wrong? I thought you wanted to go into davin and he said, well, I can't. The room is full, it's too crowded. So, it really wasn't the time that that generally that the uh, minions convene so this chassid who was very puzzled walked over and, looked, and sa- looked, looked into the window and saw that the room was empty so he went back and he said Rabbi I don't understand the room is empty so he said you're not looking at what's really in there and he quoted this zeir he said prayer like all teir and mitzvahs which are bereft of the wings the wings of fear of God and the love of God when prayer doesn't have these wings then it doesn't go up he says this room has had God knows how many years perhaps centuries of people who davened in here but there was no feeling and consequently, all the prayers are still in there. He says you can't walk in there; it's just choked with, with, with prayers. And the Baal Shem Tov, um, in his uh, earliest teachings to his, to his closest disciples, as it as it turned out. While Hasidus very, very quickly became very popular with the masses because of the way in which the Baal Shem Tov reached out to them and the 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 dignity which he which he restored to them, there was nonetheless there was a very close um, group of of disciples of Hasidim who uh, were great scholars. And uh, who were able, to, as such, to uh, to understand the um, the the heartbeat of Chasidus. On one occasion, the great Magid of Mezritch, who was the successor to the Balshemtov, was discussing with one of his disciples, the Balatanya. Um the first Rebbe of Lubavitch, he was discussing with his, his disciple the, um, the contributions of the Baal Shemto. And he shared with him the following anecdote. He said to him, we disciples, we his students, were, uh, frequently very vexed there was a great deal of consternation amongst us. The way the Rebbe, referring to the Baal Shem Tov, the way the Rebbe would reach out to the simple folk. He said, there were times that he almost would ignore us in deference to them. He said, I remember on one occasion, he said there was a Shabbos in which there were a great many visitors he said there were again there was the immediate um, the immediate group of his uh, his most devoted students and then he said there was there was the the masses who came the uh, the water carriers the um, uh the um, carpenters, the the tailors, the shoemakers, um, the farmers, people who um, were very distant, very far from any real claim to spirituality. He said in Shabbos, the Rebbe would eat two meals with everyone together. The meal Friday night, the first Suda, and Shalashudas. But the second meal during the day, right after the Davni, the suit after the Davni, was reserved for us alone. So he said, Friday night, the balshemtov. Um, it seemed as though the, as, as though the balshem had was was really uh, oblivious to us. Whenever there was something that he could do, he would do it with one of the, the commoners. So he gave his kiddush cup to, to one fellow who we were convinced could barely read the sidur. He um, shared the different uh, delicacies of the Shabbos only with them. He didn't call one of us over or hand one of us anything at all of which he had eaten. Everything went to them. He said, and I can tell you, I was amongst the many there that Shabbos who were indignant. He said, we felt that there was no justification for it. These people amounted to very little. And um, and we could not understand the Rebbe's Attention to them," <coughs> he said. "the uh, The Rebbe said nothing um, during the <coughs> afternoon Sa'uda, We were alone with him, and um, the simple folk, after they had eaten, what were they going to do on a Shabbos afternoon? They went into the Beis Hamedrash. Some of them opened up a Chumash in order to review the Sedra. But most of them opened up their books of the Tehillim, the Psalms. Uh, Many of them who didn't know the meaning of the words and they began to recite the, the book of Psalms. So he said, meanwhile, he said, the Rebbe sat with us. He expounded on the Sedra of the week and we were we were in heaven. He said, when the Rebbe would would teach us, when the Rebbe would expound, he said, we were in another sphere. And he said, once again, I said to myself at the Suda, I can't understand. He said, We could have had this last night. Instead, last night, the Rebbe was giving all of his attention to those lowly people to those illiterate folk and we were virtually ignored he, and, and there was so much that we could have experienced just as we're experiencing now he said, as I was thinking that the, the Magid confessed to his student he said, as I was thinking that a very grave expression took, took over the Rebbe's visage so he said, became very serious and he was, for a period of time, he was clearly in, in another world. And then he said to us, he turned to us and he said, I want each one of you to put your arm on the shoulder of the person next to you. So he said, up and down the sides of the table, each one of us put our hands on the shoulder of the next fellow. He said, and then the Baal Shem Tov instructed us to sing some of the Zemiras of Shabbos, some of the songs of Shabbos. And we sang, and uh, it was a heavenly experience. He said, then we finished, and the Rebbe again seemed to transcend us, to move into a different sphere. And then he looked at us once again, and he said, close your eyes, and do not open them until I tell you. And with that, we closed our eyes. The Rebbe took one hand and put it on the fellow next to him, put his other hand on the shoulder of the fellow next to him, and suddenly, he said, all of us heard the sounds of people reciting healing, people singing the verses of Psalms. He said, I can't begin to tell you what that was like. He said there were voices that were infused with such yearning, with such longing, with such simple, profound faith. People who are calling out to their Heavenly Father just to be connected. He said, we we felt ourselves dissolving in a sea of tears. He says it was, there was such sweetness, such love, such intimacy with the divine, such as that your heart wanted to jump out of it, out of the body. He said, and we, we were privy to that for a, period of time, and then the Baal Shem Tov removed his, his hands from the shoulders of the people on either side of him and instructed us to open up our eyes. And he said to us, those verses of Tehili, that longing and that yearning that you just heard, came from our Besa Midrash. From all of those folk, from all of those simple people, from all of those unlearned people, whom you so condescendingly deal with he said and that is something which dare not occur he said from that point forward we all had a completely different relationship and a different respect for all of these people the Magid concluded the story he said to Rav Shneel Zalman he said I want to tell you something I have never again in my life felt that intimacy and that yearning that I felt that hour. He said, I pray that I might once again have that faith and that closeness <coughs> which to which these all of these these carpenters and these uh these shoemakers were uh, were able to achieve He said, I looked down at my shoes, he told the the, uh, Balatine, he said, I looked down to my shoes and they were drenched with my tears. The Baal Shem um, whether it was in yearning, or whether it was joy, uh, emphasized the need for the soul and the heart to be uh, in te- integrally involved in the service of the Almighty. To be sure, the emphasis on joy is again not something which originates with the Boshemto. It's a pasuk in the Terah. <laughs> that the, the uh, this all of these terrible misfortunes, all of the terrible catastrophes des- described in the Tehra. the Terah tells us, come be. You did not serve the Lord your God with joy, kail, <coughs> from all of the, uh, the, the, uh, the abundant prosperity that you had. And the Ariyah Kodesh taught that, um, that we are to understand this posse besimcha levav that you, this comes because you didn't serve the Almighty with joy uh, and with a a, um, a positive disposition even more than the joy and the disposition that you have when you have all the material things that you want. The Ariya Kodesh said that any of his madregas, all of the lofty achievements of his life came because of joy. And Chasidus Echoed and reaffirmed that principle that there, there is no way in which one can approach any of the um, the uh, riches of of without joy. Uh, one of the uh, determinants of that joy we will address at, at a later date, and that is the. Uh, uh, again, a, a, a somewhat um, amplified and uh, perhaps revolutionary definition given Tashgokha protis which uh, the Balshemtov launched, and that is the attitude or the understanding of providence. But I'd like to um, I'd like to talk about Specifically about Ahava and Yira, about the love and the reverence or the awe of the Almighty. Um, there's a concept in Hasidus which uh, which is referred to in a variety of ways, but basically is. Um, is addressed by the term of halos hamidos, which refers to the sublimation of midos, which um, over here we will come to understand are the ways in which uh, we um, we treat or, or recognize some of the basic emotive dimensions and components of our lives. Um, most specifically, the, the sources of all Midas uh, are the, uh, the Midas of Chesed and Gevura, of loving-kindness and uh, strength or discipline, which are the, uh, the, the titles for the broad categories of love and fear. The Barshem Tov taught, as, um, as uh, his, uh, some of his scribes referred to, remember many times in their writings, the Be'erinaim uh, in many instances talks about this phenomenon, that, um, that many of the ways in which we find ourselves experiencing these Midas in our own lives are really heaven-dispatched um, emissaries to draw our attention to the way in which these Midais could really connect us to the Almighty. The uh, Meranayim, in one instance, gives a, uh, somewhat of a, of a uh, parable. When he says that someone had some very precious crystal to uh, transport, and because it was so delicate and fragile, uh, it was it was packed in some some fairly um, coarse ways. In other words, you don't want it to break, so you have a very sturdy container, and on the inside of the container, you stuff it with all kinds of papers and cardboard and uh, b- materials and shmatas and uh, different kinds of cloth um, which are going to protect these uh, uh, this, uh, this very fragile and very precious crystal uh, from uh, breakage. Uh, he said, imagine if you You send this merchandise across the ocean, or across the desert, or some great distance. And then, the the people who receive it at the other end of the uh, the ocean, they take these boxes, and uh, try to find ways of using these boxes in ways which are, will, will be practical, will be utilitarian for their own purposes. So some take these boxes and they, and they put things on them, and some build things on them, whatever. The point is, is that the recipients of the boxes are completely oblivious to the fact that inside the boxes there, there is some magnificent, um, precious items Works of art, things which which uh, would would dazzle uh, their uh, their their sight, that would that would uh, evoke in them uh, all kinds of wonderment and uh, sense of, of beauty. And instead, they're they're busy with uh, with uh, finding ways to use the boxes. So he says that in reality, the things that connect us in the most powerful ways to the Almighty are these emotions of yearning, of love and awe and reverence and fear and the Almighty wants us to, um, to come to appreciate how to use and how to, to uh, recognize these, these uh, emotions so what he does is he gives us these emotions when we are infants, when we are young, when we're children, and so we get scared. We get scared of, of dogs and animals, and we get scared of of, of people who uh, who want to do harm to us. We're scared of. We, we become frightened of anger. We become we 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 love um, things which uh, which meet our appetites. We love uh, people who flatter us. We come in our earliest years of life to experience these emotions in some very crude ways. He says, but in reality, all that's happening over here is that the Almighty is trying to get us to understand what these emotions are like at a time when we're too young, too unsophisticated, um, too shallow to really be able to relate to the Almighty in a mature and and, the sensitive way he says but the understanding is is that once you've transported the merchandise over this ocean of youth that when you get to the other end that that you're not you know that you unpack the boxes that you unpack them from their from all of this uh, from all of this uh, the cotton and all of the 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 stuffing and the cardboard and the shmatas and the paper and that you take out the crystal and the crystal is a love which is unselfish. The crystal is a, is a love of things magnificent. The, 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 the crystal is the awe of things majestic. And he says that throughout our lives, whenever there is an instant in which we find ourselves drawn to something, or there's, we find ourselves in instances in which we want to flee something that if we could gather our wits about us at that moment and say to ourselves, where does this come from? Where does this love, where does this attraction, or where does this fright come from? What is the source of all of this? The source is a dispatcher on the other side of the ocean. And the dispatcher is trying to get our attention and, say, and is trying to tell us I'm here, and I want you to use this emotion, this rich connective tissue, for our relationship. So, I'm, how do I get your attention? I'm gonna, I'm gonna send somebody with a with a gun against you, or I'm gonna, I'm going to uh, get this uh, this car to come very, very close to to um, uh, bumping into you, or um, or whatever, whatever fright. Or whatever love, or whatever um, draw. And if at that moment we said to ourselves, why should I indulge this this very distant vessel, when I could really plug into the source, when I could really plug into a love, which is the most exciting, the most intense, the most rewarding, the most uplifting kind of, of a love. He says that that is true of all of the midas. Um, the need that we have to triumph, our appreciation, our relationship to beauty, and so on. That all of the times when we find ourselves kind of zoning in, honing in, on a, um, a kind of a physical or a a mundane kind of an experience, that that is to be seen as an echo of a sound which began in a very, very high place. And that the the origin of that echo is the Almighty reaching out to us and saying, I don't want you to stand in fear of, of man. I don't want you to stand in fear of of society, I don't want you to stand in fear of of force or power or whatever the case may be. I want you to stand in awe of uh, the grandeur of the divine. Um, I don't want you to be drawn to pizza. I don't want you to be drawn to um, to passion or to lust, because that is a a pale and in um, shallow experience, compared to the um, the um, transcendent experience that we could have if we turn to its origin. So the Baal Shem Tov, the Baal Shem Tov called upon us not only to invest. Um, the religious sphere with uh, the emotions of yearning and love and fear but to take signals from to read all of our common experiences as opportunities, as messages as echoes, as, as a summons to concentrate on the source to look for these same things in their richest form as they connect us to the divine so that virtually any of our common experiences become um, gateways to great spiritual experiences okay um, Rabbi seen passed me a note which, which said that so far we have ignored the Baal Shem Tov's personal history, the experience, uh, the, kind of the, the details of the life of the Baal Shem Tov, which uh, I would hope to do. I, I really felt that uh, we needed to get into some of the contributions, and we've only, we've we've just begun to talk about um, <coughs> what the contributions of the Baal Shem Tov were. The, the fact is, is that while there were um, Hasidus was a very rich evolution of these uh, of these original premises, and uh, here and there there were uh, uh, some more facets that were polished into this diamond, and, and uh, some more uh, supportive um, uh, <coughs> scaffolding, but um, and, and and different. Different Hasidic schools uh, emphasized the uh, the ways in which these things were to be distributed, the way they they were to be practiced. Um, So that and and, and we'll we'll find that as we talk about the uh, the different Hasidic schools, how these things came into play. But I I I thought that I would first talk about these contributions. Then we'd talk about uh, the biographical material of the Baal Shem Tov and, um, and tell you some uh, sig- significant um, anecdotes so next time I would, I would hopefully like to conclude the discussion of, of the Baal Shem's uh, philosophic um, <laughs> contribution and then um, we can move on to those to the to the uh, biographical material and the some of the, the rich stories of uh, of his life